racing cars need racing fuel. And Race Fuels is the best, most convenient way to power through your next meeting. Our famous Elf Race 102 is the control fuel of choice for the Touring Car Masters. It's available at the Bowsers, at Sydney Motorsport Park and the Bend. And it's available in drums at Winton. Imported direct from France, Elf Race 102 is affordable horsepower. For more details, head to racefuels.com.au. coming for a long time. These two do not like each other. There are two parts of the story as all yeah, red flag. This is a suspended uh, race. Okay, welcome back to the 37th episode of Parked Up Tony D. We're powered by the Race Fuels, our very good friends at Race Fuels. And we've got a big pod for you tonight, a huge, huge, huge pod. But the, the big news, though, for those who have been awesome on our social medias, they've been hanging out for... Uh, one of these very exclusive limited edition parked up t-shirts. You have to wait to the end of the episode to find out if you've won. We've had heaps of people on the socials um, requesting to get one. We've had a lot of interest in getting them and we made their public taboo uh, at the family Christmas gathering on the weekend. <laughs> but because you'd had your teeth out, you weren't able to have uh, quite as many drinks as as I did. So um, wow. I made up Let- for- Let's face it. Even if I didn't have my teeth out, uh, I still would have would not have had as many drinks as what you had because I'd be I'd be probably passed out on the floor. No, I, I had a pretty quiet uh, afternoon, but I was getting a few uh, Snapchats very late in uh, in the evening there, and you guys quite crazy. And I saw you the next day, and you look fresh as a daisy. Yeah, no, I back up like a champion. I am the king of backing up. Don't you worry. I can get get out of bed and get the job done. There's a, unfortunately, I've got a bit of reputation for that. Party now, late, but get up early had, and get on with it. If you had the uh, parked up T-shirt on at the Dorset, uh, maybe <laughs> maybe uh, being behaving badly, um, do you reckon we got a few more followers or a few more haters? Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Um, well, we didn't get uh, we didn't get thrown out or didn't get our faces plastered on the uh, local paper, so it it's probably has done little to no effect for our group of following. But it's been really good to see uh, lots of people uh, speaking to us over the over the socials and uh, asking for some some parked up merch. The uh, the super exclusive parked up t shirts they're amazing. I haven't even got one myself yet. Well, I, no, sorry, you did get one, but you returned it because I gave you a medium and you're, uh, you're a small. When, when have I ever been a medium? Well, I thought uh, with uh, some of this the training that we've been doing through Reaction Performance, you might have stepped up to be a medium just with your broad shoulders and nah. your uh, big guns. But... No, nah, I'm working on it, but not just yet. I'm still a small, well and truly. So, yeah, so, I've got to get one of them off you before you head to Sydney later this week. We'll, um, we'll, definitely, we'll definitely hook that up. Uh, as will a bunch of other people from around Australia and New Zealand. But over the weekend, I put something up on our Facebook page, uh, just reminding everyone that Santa's coming December 1st today, as this uh, podcast is published. It's December 1. It means uh, that big fat guy in the red suit is going to come flying down some chimneys pretty soon and, and deliver all of the very special gifts all around the world. I'm a believer, Tony. You still a believer? Big red Have to be, mate. Yep. That's it. Got kids, so, so I believe in it. Of course. So and we asked what were some of the 
best presents that people had received or um, or what they might be asking for uh, for Santa this year. And um, our loyal fan base only responded mainly with parked up T-shirts. So <laughs> they're, they're really keen. They're really, really keen to get one. But I was interested um, to know from yourself before we fire in to this pod, what what is the coolest Christmas present that, that you remember as a kid? Oh, geez, you put me on the spot. Uh, no, well, it's quite easy because early days, I remember when I got my first go-kart was a Christmas present. So that was a pretty damn good present, even though it was secondhand um, and dad had chopped it down to try and suit my size. But it was still a pretty cool present to get uh, for Christmas. So I remember opening that present up and uh, that was the start of this long journey of uh, going motor racing. I remember, one, I remember one Christmas, this wasn't my favorite gift, but I remember one Christmas that mum and dad gave me a set of Bridgestone go-kart tires for, uh, for Christmas, which I thought was kind of cool. That, uh, that it would have saved like they were 200 bucks or something. So uh, it saves a bit. But now in hindsight, I think, well, that's, that was a complete waste because like- They were going to buy them anyway. Well, you just tear them up. It's like it's yeah, not really yeah. a gift, is it? You just you just stick them on your cart, go out for pretty, uh, half a day, and they're done. I'm pretty sure I bought you some go kart tires for one of your birthdays, didn't I? Um, that does not ring a bell, but I'm um, pretty sure. I can't remember which birthday it was, but I definitely bought you some go kart tires. So, um, so what sort of? Di- so, there's no way you would have bought the go kart tires. You would have done some weird deal <laughs> to. Um, to have that as contra or, um, or, or, or something to um, escape all the hassles of payment, which I know you, uh, you don't like too much. <laughs> Just sledge your tight ass ways. Yeah. Okay, cool. So in today's episode, we're going to talk to Dr. Carl. And we want to talk to Dr. Carl because there was something pretty frightening on our TV screens mm. watching the Bahrain Grand Prix over the weekend with Romain Grosjean in the Haas having a pretty monumental accident. And it wasn't just the fact that there was a fire that was associated with it. It was, you know, he was a lucky boy to get out of there because his mm. it was a pretty mighty crash up against, uh, going through and the Armco barrier. I don't mm. even know what Armco is doing at a, one of the most modern, sophisticated Grand Prix circuits. And there's still, you know, Armco that, I don't know, I associate with 1960s and 1970s Grand Prix to, racing. To be honest, in that spot where he hit, it's pretty unusual to be spun to the inside and to make that sort of serious contact with that part of the circuit. Um, obviously, he's come together with another driver and it's sort of flung him into a spin that he had no control over. It'd be interesting to see what sort of speed he was actually doing, but He's, it's almost, he's gone through the barrier like a bullet almost. And apparently some of the, the barrier was over the top of the car. Um, so the halo has done an amazing job to save his head, but then he's had to try and, you know, uh, wiggle his way out to try and get out of the car while it's, you know, engulfed in flames. So super, super scary. I mean, when you look at the vision and you can see all the flames and then you see Roman just sort of pop out. It was like he was a superhuman or superhero or something. The way he sort of popped out of the flames uh, and jumped over the barrier was just incredible. Um, and he actually lost one of his boots as well, which I, I found quite uh, quite crazy that he'd pulled his leg out of the car in such a way that he'd pulled his boot off or, or something had happened. Um, so he, he only had one boot on um, and it obviously 
his hands have got a bit fried as well on the way. But besides that, he's got out of it very, very lucky. Yeah, wasn't he? Such a great dramatic pitches. Uh, great because he survived, of course. But uh, with the uh, FIA medical delegate, Dr. Ian Roberts, helping him, uh, helping the fire marshal first point to where he wanted um, the extinguisher, which bought them enough time to to see him and and hear him and shout out to him and, and get him to climb over the fence. Um, absolutely dramatic stuff. So we, we felt that uh, Dr. Carl was the best guy to talk to, because not only because, uh, you know, Romain has uh, survived this with, with minor injuries, but, uh, you know, it's, it's just not by chance that, that Dr. Ian Roberts there on the spot or the other medical professionals at racetracks all around the world are able to uh, help people get extricated from these difficult situations. They uh, they put in a lot of time and practice into making sure that everyone is as safe as possible in in what is just by nature an unsafe sport. So um, yeah, well you know to, to be to honest, there are they, they are the unsung heroes. I mean they do a huge amount of practice um, with different scenarios. But how do you replicate a scenario like that? Um, so that, that's what I want to hear from Dr. Carl, you know, how much work do they do over the event with all the staff that, you know, are volunteers that might not be the same staff every time to, I suppose, face those situations if, if they do have to uh, face them on the day, you know, it's, I mean, Formula One's a little bit different. You've probably got the medical staff that travel the world doing it. Um, but like I know I've been uh, at the circuit before where Dr. Carl has practiced getting me out of the the passenger seat, uh, passenger door of the supercar, just in case, you know, you're up against a wall or something, and you can't get out the driver's side and you've got to try and be pulled out the other side. So um, there's a huge amount of thought goes into it. And you know, 90% of the time, nothing ever happens on circuit. You know, like we, we live in a really dangerous world and we go super fast and, it, you know, we're, we're on the limit, but nine times out of 10, we get away with it. But then that one time we really need all the, uh, the work that all these people put in behind the scenes um, to actually uh, come to fruition and keep us safe. Well, all that and more, we're going to ask him soon. But before we get into that, let's look at some news. All right, there's our news music. It's over and done with. The news, of course, is brought to you by Motorsport Websites. .com.au. They're the number one for motorsport branding services in the Australian motorsport racing community. Anything from bespoke website design and hosting, logo design, race car design, custom race wear. They do it all. Motorsportwebsites.com.au. Uh, Tony D, the big news. The big news is that we don't have a supercars calendar yet. We all desperately want a supercars calendar. But... Oh, mate, 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 mate. I've got it. You've got it. I've got it, but I'm not sharing it. Nah. I'm not sharing it. I tell you, one 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 team who uh, did share it was Auto Action. They published a provisional 2021 Supercars Championship. This is very, very, very uh, unofficial. Um, I'll definitely wait until uh, I get an email from Supercars themselves to let me know exactly where I should be booking accommodation <laughs> and other bits and pieces. But with uh, with the Bathurst race at the at the top, the uh, Grand Prix, which everyone knows, Simmons Plains, Talent Bend Grant, in May. That that date me. has been confirmed. 
Tell me this, Grant. Mm-hmm. What, what's the fascination with getting the calendar out? Well, who cares? Oh, look, I, I think it is uh, it is important because, you know, even think about um, yourself in your world and even with the TCR calendar, everyone was you know, really keen to see what the 2021 TCR Australia calendar would look like. And then your 2021 program was confirmed after that. It is sort of the first step other other than uh, really major things maybe like sponsors or mm. or a driver but the calendar is is kind of one of those first things that you can put in place so then you can you know a driver can go to a sponsor or the, the category can then you know move forward on deals so they, I reckon it's just because so you show. guys want to be nosy um maybe <laughs> possibly I'd like to know I'm very uh, I'm pretty organized sort of guy sometimes so i'd like to know exactly what uh what i'm doing it'd be Uh, interesting to know what's taking so long like why they haven't been able to publish it yet i mean obviously it's been a very weird year this year and they're just trying to get their heads around what they can achieve for next year you know maybe venues or budget constraints from teams maybe they're asking to do less rounds or i don't know but there's obviously some complications there why they can't just release the information just yet yeah, for sure. I, I would suspect it's uh, got everything to do with the venues and and potentially the support that they get at particular venues, like um, some of the races that are supported by governments and their agencies. So, yeah, uh, locking in locking in the date probably isn't the big factor. It might mm. be more about how much cash is sort of associated with it. Yeah, and of course the old dollar rules the world. Now, one thing that did 100% get confirmed is that uh, Super 2 and Super 3 will definitely be merged together. They'll be part of the same championship with a race within a race, uh, class racing in, in supercars racing. So, uh, so that's kind of cool. I guess it was, it was a, it looked like it was a struggle to get a decent Super 2 grid for 2020, probably the same for 2021, even though we've seen Brock Feeney added to the, Triple Eight team alongside Angelo Mazuris, so that's uh, that's a really strong lineup for Triple Eight Race Engineering in the Dunlop Super Two series. Uh, But having Super Three in there as well for all of the older supercars as well, pretty much everything um, pre Car of the Future. So that could uh, at well supported events that could end up being you know some pretty chunky fields if they can get. Yeah, fifteen of each. That's a thirty-car field of supercars. Yeah, that, that's exactly that would what be the really fans good. Will want. That'd be great. But you know, why? Why do we need Super Three as well? Like, why can't we just have Super Two? And we try and make it. I know the cars are going to be older, but I understand Super Three is for the older generation cars. We need a home for them. But why we can't just combine it all and just have one big championship um, instead of sort of having Super Three, Super Two, and um, it all sounds a little bit clunky to me. Whereas, you know, if we just have development series or whatever they want to call it, um, whether you've got an old generation car or not, is just up to you. Yeah, look, a well-sorted Super 3 car can run at the tail end of those really competitive Super 2 cars. They're not going to be as fast as some of the more modern Super 2 machinery run by the good teams. But Matt White Motorsport is, is a great example. They proved with Jay Robotham in Super 3 this year that, that he was able to run 7th, 8th, ninth. So yeah. 
No, he did a really nice job. But I think if they could just call the category one thing rather than Super 2 and Super 3, you know, maybe they have a separate championship in within the championship for the for the Super 3 cars. So, you know, people can still compete and, and do really well in, in their category. But it just cl- sounds clunky. Um, potentially. I mean, it certainly made a lot of sense uh, in in the 2020 championship where they ran mm-hmm. that on a couple of occasions because they had the two different types of tyres before next year. They'll both run on Dunlops. So yep. maybe your point stands up a, a little bit more there. Yeah. Okay. Sticking with supercars, uh, engineering changes. Yeah, no driver, no driver chat this week. Still but Still no plenty, driver chat. Plenty of engineering chat. Yeah, so Grant McPherson, I believe it was Auto Action again that has broken this story. They have uh, confirmed that uh, Grant McPherson is out of Red Bull. He is the uh, it helped Shane Van Gisbergen and Garth Tander to a Bathurst 1000 win, and now uh, the man who was on the cans is going to uh, potentially switch to Walkinshaw, which uh, that hasn't been confirmed yet, but. I guess that's what all of the peoples are saying. So that's a yeah, that's a huge change at the uh, top of the engineering tree. Yeah, I mean he's one of the top engineers in the category. He comes from uh, Tickford originally. Um, he's achieved a huge amount at Triple Eight. He, he's seen everything at Triple Eight how they go about their business. So yeah, if it's true he's going to Walkinshaw, then that's a, a massive get for for Walkinshaw Racing. And I think those guys are definitely on the rise, and they're they're pumping a lot of money and resources into trying to get up the field even further. You know, they obviously had, they uh, signed Chaz last year, which was a really big get for them. And, uh, you know, with this boost in engineering, I think it's only going to uh, improve their chances of uh, getting a few more victories on the board. Of course, there were some other changes as well with what looks like both Erebus engineers out the door at um, at their team as well and it just looks like a difficult time for Erebus with the mm. amount of changes and um, rumor and and um, you know destabilizing chat around their team at the moment as well it's um, it doesn't sound like the happiest of places to be in which I just find no. absolutely extraordinary because you know it was only two years ago this was the place to be this was the place that you want that you know you wanted to race at yeah, it's, a, it's an unhappy home at the moment, and that's evident with the drivers moving, well, looking like they're going to move on. Obviously, we know Anton's story, and Dave uh, looks like he's going to move on as well. And then to throw in you know, their engineers with Alistair McVean and, and Mirko as well, they're losing some really big uh, knowledge within the team and the group. It's going to be a bit of a, a rebuild phase for those guys next year. That, that certainly won't happen overnight. And they're sort of coming off a bit of a difficult season anyway. So um, not a lot of positivity around Erebus at the moment, but they did announce uh, a new, new team manager. Sounds like he's all pumped up and, and ready to go and, and trying to put on a brave face. But there's uh, certainly a lot of things to sort out at Erebus at the moment. Yep. 100% there. Uh, there is a bit going on there. And I guess we'll, uh, we'll find out more in the near future let's let's talk about that uh, that f1 race besides the um ginormous incident for romain grosjean which is all anyone's going to remember the 2020 bahrain grand prix for but there was also a motor race that happened after mm-hmm. that and uh, lewis hamilton 
Uh, didn't surprise anybody by going on to take a uh, take another victory in a in a dominating season. Uh, Max Verstappen second uh, with his teammate Alex Albon in third. Is that enough for Alex yeah. Albon to keep his Red Bull seat? Well, it was a very good result for him considering he uh, crashed in practice very heavily uh, in practice one there. Uh, coming onto the front straight. So he probably had uh, his confidence was quite low going into the race. That's a nice result for him. And, you know, time will tell whether he's going to retain his seat. There's a lot of talk around Sergio Perez going there, which I think he'd be a great addition. The amount of experience he's got, he knows how to race and he's been there for a very long time and, and doing a really good job. So we'll see what happens there. But yeah, I mean, the results, to be honest, the end of the race really didn't mean a lot it was sort of uh, almost an anti-climax everyone was just very relieved that roman was okay uh, lance stroll actually had a little trip over as well and, and rolled his car so it was um it was a very weird race very very scary to to see the footage of roman and, and jumping out of those flames and um it does hit home a little bit it, what what i did find interesting though like roman absolutely cops it from drivers and commentators and fans about you know probably lack of results over the last few years and he shouldn't be in formula one this and that so he really cops are hiding and then that happens and suddenly everybody's his best mate and wishing him well and trying to get on the bandwagon i i really struggle with that side of it um you know if you're not his mate then you don't yeah you, you don't need to try and get mileage out of uh, something that that's happened to him in a in a negative fashion so uh, i found that interesting suddenly everyone was roman's best friend and and wishing him all the work all the best mm. yeah well apparently romain is really really hard to work with all of the mm. all of the team members or or the, the the grand prix paddock have said that like he's just a a difficult guy like he'll, he'll um he expects and demands so much not just from his team, but also from himself. Mm. But all of that combined just can make him, you know, a bit, a bit yeah, difficult. difficult. And this looks like a, this is the end of his F one career, really. Not, wow. not, not because of the incident, but just because he's run out of seats to fill, and he's, mm. uh, I think he's going to go do some sports car racing or something. Yeah, so. I mean, I, I mean, I don't think he's going to back up next week at Bahrain. That's for sure. Um, be interesting. Might have a week off, you reckon? Yeah, be interesting to see who they put in there. It'd be nice if he got one more race under his belt before he finishes his Formula One career, though. It'd be very disappointing to to finish uh, in that in that way. So I think, yeah, I think Fittipaldi, uh, he's the reserve driver. I think he might get a might get a call up. He'd probably be the only one that was happy about the whole crash. <laughs> Yeah, one of few. It was pretty frightening. Well, Romain might be out of the sport, but uh, we'll wait and see exactly what happens with his future. But uh, let's just look back just before we get on to our main uh, subject with Dr. Carl. We had a lot of car racing on over mm. the weekend. I actually went to Sandown for the AMRS event uh, just at our local local circuit. I went there Friday and Saturday. It was hanging out with some of the uh, guys from race fuels and seeing them uh, help and uh, put some fuel in race cars and, and make them go around. Actually spent a little bit of time with uh, John Blanchard, who's dressed up his old Swift that he raced in the 1992 Australian Formula Four championship, which they've just put back in their, uh, in, in the Palm Air colors. The thing mm. looks an absolute treat. Um, Timmy was out there. Timmy Blanchard was out there 
as well. Harry Blanchard was out there. It was an absolute Blanchard fest. <laughs> um, Tim Blanchard actually took a win in in uh, what's effectively like a classic Formula Ford class. But not only was there stuff happening at Sandown, there was also Challenge Bathurst, of course, at Mount Panorama. There was an event happening at Sydney Motorsport Park, a historic event there. And there was also the good old Isle of Magic down at uh, Phillip Island. I know you didn't actually get to an event yourself, but you would have had a close eye on what was going on at Challenge Bathurst. You know, your thoughts, I know, never far away from that that great mountain. Yeah, I did keep an eye on it, especially some of the lap times. Luca Yildon actually took the honours as for the fastest lap time posted over the Thursday and Friday, which I think was a 2.04 or something, which... In a GT3 car, it's probably not the fastest time we've ever seen, but it was a, it was well and truly the fastest uh, over those two days. Um, it's a really interesting event, that one, because everyone flocks to go and do the event, and then you spend the whole time in the session just dealing with a huge amount of traffic. So Luke would have had to have busted at that time in like one lap and hope for clear track, and that's sort of like the trick to it because then you spend the rest of the time just picking off people. So... Uh, my good friend Adrian Dietz went up there in his Lambo that actually got repaired from a crash at the Bathurst 12 uh, early in the year. So that was one of the first outings that he had back in the Lambo. And he set a bit of a PB as well. Um, so I was pretty proud of him. He snuck under the 210, which you know, is pretty damn good for a gentleman driver um, that spends most of his time um, in, in boardrooms and meetings and not really thinking about going car racing. So that was a, that was probably about three or four second gain for him so that that was really really good for him and we also saw porsche set the production car record around bathurst by two seconds so actually um, went faster than the mercedes of Bernd snyder uh, which was set maybe four years ago now um, around the mountain so an amateur driver actually beat um, a professional driver around bathurst which probably highlights how good the the new generation porsche jetted to rs are but um, yeah, that was pretty special to get a record there for Porsche. And uh, there's always that bit of competition in those production car lap records. Yeah. I, you know, I've seen one of those uh, GT2 Porsches and, you know, there's not much road car in there. There's not, <laughs> there's not much production stuff going on. The things that an absolute race car, it's got a roll yep. cage in it. Like yeah, it, yeah, yeah. There is absolutely nowhere to put like shopping, shopping. the golf clubs, forget it. That thing's nah. a race car. Pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, it's a very special car. I'm actually getting the chance to drive one in a couple of weeks at Sandown. I think I mentioned it last week. So doing a little speed comparison, Nick McBride's in his cup car. I'm in the GD2 RS and uh, Chris Pitha is going to be in a Taycan. So that's going to be a bit of fun. I'll get my little motorsport fix. But, you know, they had, uh, we haven't had any racing for a long time, Grant, as we know. And they put like three race meetings on the same weekend. Like, not very good planning. Well, Come on. Nah, they've, it was they've, good for race fuels, though. <laughs> race fuels are absolutely loving it. They had bases covered at all four events. So there's absolutely no way you can make up for what you've lost in 2020. But it was good to to get out there and get busy again. And um, I, think I wonder how many litres of fuel they actually sold over the weekend. Yeah. Uh, probably, all right, yeah, you should find that out. And next week, you can fill us in. Cool. Just got set a uh, school, a school homework project. Great. Just what I needed. All right. I'll ask Mark Tierney from Racefields and see if we can get an answer on how much fuel 
was used over over last weekend. I dare say it was. Uh, I dare say it was quite a bit. Just probably asking not, how much money you made. Probably not much in the. Um, probably not much in those Hyundai XLs. I heard them buzzing around. I'm going to guess they're pretty fuel efficient. Oh, they are screaming quite hard. <laughs> All right, it's time to get on to our big chat for today for this episode of Parked Up, powered by you would never have guessed it, Race Fuels. We're going to talk to Dr. Carl. He plays a crucial role in the Supercars Championship and all leading Australian motorsport, uh, setting the agenda for safety and, and safe practices to keep drivers, team crews and uh, marshals and fans as well safe at the racetrack. Some drivers will think that Dr. Carl is just there to um, give a couple of Panadols and a little pat on the back and say, don't worry, darling, you'll be fine. Get back out there and um, don't worry about your sore arm but dr carl does a lot of work behind the scenes to ensure everybody's safety it's a good chance to talk to the good doctor we haven't spoken to him on parked up it's only taken us 37 weeks to get on to him but we'll do it right now here he is dr carl on parked up and it's great to welcome the great man dr carl onto the parked up podcast Dr. Carl, you're, you're actually working at the moment. We appreciate uh, you taking your time away from uh, uh, saving regular people's lives. Oh, no worries. Thanks for having me, Grant and Tony. It's uh, a horrifying scenes that we saw over in Bahrain, Romain Grosjean uh, escaping a, uh, a very bad wreck, um, uh, fire involved as well, uh, car splitting in half. Um, the first thing that I woke up to this morning was seeing your Facebook post um, with some some commentary around that as well. And I thought, wow, if Dr. Carl is commenting on this, it must have been pretty serious. And the photo showed that it was it was pretty serious. What were your thoughts? <laughs> uh, so firstly, yeah, I wake up to read the news as I do and uh, saw on the headline headlines as well about the crash. Uh, firstly, you know, we have to say that thank God uh, Romain is, is, is well. Uh, obviously, he needs to be monitored, and they're worried about some inhalation injuries, and his hands were all bandaged up. But thank goodness he's survived that horrifying crash. Um, there's been commentary about them showing that crash over and over again as well. But uh, I think, given that no one, you know, there was no, no one, no one uh, critically injured, uh, we can discuss it. And there's certainly, I think, a lot of room to learn from these things. And again, you know, I, I watch accidents, and particularly ones like this, for the response to see what I can pick up, what I can learn how we can all do better and then everyone has an opinion and everyone uh, will, will also look at this from a track safety point of view to car safety and everything else as well so there's obviously always interest and when there's a serious incident like this uh, the best thing we can do is to take away some positives from it and, you know how, how can we do things better and safer uh, it also then obviously reminded me of the the last huge fire that we had in supercars which is back all the way back now to 2011 at Barbagello when we had uh, Carl Reinler uh, had his uh, fuel cell ruptured by Steve Owen when Reinler's car was stored on the back of the grid there. Uh, so that certainly reminded me of that because I was one of the first responders to that incident as well. And, and there, was, there was a few similarities between the, uh, the medical response of this incident uh, overnight and, and the one that we had all those nine years ago. And some learnings that I guess I wanted to share. Uh, my Facebook post this morning was purely to share with you know, my friends and such the photos and videos that were already out online and publicly available. And all I said was that it was an amazing rescue and, uh, uh, and to a, such an incredible incident. And certainly there was uh, the hand of God there to help him survive there. 
but yeah, so yeah, happy to happy to be here and happy to discuss some things that you may want to ask. It certainly looked like a hand of God, the way Roman sort of came out of the flames and escaped the escaped most of the injury. Um, now, you touched on the Carl Reinler incident, and that's something that I wanted to quickly chat about today. The, the bravery that uh, Dr. Ian Roberts showed, I mean, in those sort of scenarios, is it instinctive or is it because of all the training that you do prior? Uh, you know, it's funny. You can, you can do a lot of training, and, and we sit around and we think about it and prepare for it. But when uh, when when it happened, you know that 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 incident was well over within about 20 seconds, as was the Reinsler incident. I guess when it happens, that you know, there will be people that can respond and others that that don't. And that's no no one's fault. It's just it's just how it is. Uh, but certainly, I think Ian responded really appropriate and really quickly. And just to go back a step, I guess it's a good reminder that that's, that's why we do have uh, such a thing as a medical car to follow the first lap because there are potentially more serious incidents on the first lap just given that the cars are starting close together. This didn't happen on the, the grid, but one of the main reasons is, is for a grid incident where a stalled car gets hit, so they can be immediately there. Uh, one of the differences between supercars and Formula 1 is that in Formula 1 there's only the medical car that does the chase. They have so many resources around the track to affect an immediate response that the medical car you know, is just to deliver the, the high-level doctor and driver there and a local doctor as well. Um, but they they rely on the sort of circuit from infrastructure as such. And luckily in this instance, there was clearly a fire marshal very close by that was able to respond with Ian, and Ian was able to help uh, use that fire marshal whilst Alan and the other doctor were getting the medical kit and the extinguisher from the back of the Formula One medical car. Uh, in supercars, we actually, um, since the Barbagallo incident, we actually mandate to have at least four fire officials either in one vehicle or two vehicles follow the field. When you see the supercars grid up, you'll actually see plenty of flashing lights behind the grid. That's because we have both the medical car and uh, fire responders on the chase lap as well. Um, and then we also have a recovery vehicle that follows um, at least to the first turn, just, just to help with the efficiency of removing any stalled cars or crash cars that may occur on the, the grid, the main straight. Um, but yeah, so you know, they, they were able to be on scene very quickly. And uh, yeah, Ian's um, as you say, there is a lot of it is our focus is on the driver, but Ian's you know, much more experienced than I am. And uh, uh, you know, I've been asked this before where, and when these sort of things happen, well, what, how do you process everything? The only way I can describe it is that we, we just go back to the old Dr. ABC, to tell the truth, um, because that, in my mind on, on racetrack, that serves really well, where D is obviously danger. So you, you would need to assess that danger and you use whether it's your training and intuition um, I remember back um, looking back at the Reimler incident. Wasn't so much with the Grosjean uh, incident, but with the Reimler incident. Um, I'm, I'm, when I was reflecting on it, I was thinking because I was, you know, uh, did the same thing Ryan from the medical car. I had, I had my own extinguisher at that time, but I remember that there was a lot of smoke and extinguisher uh, fumes blowing across the track over the spectator area on the outfield. And I remember that, you know, instinctively just went upwind to be able to fight the fire upwind. I remember that when we when we responded, I could see that Carl was already getting out of his vehicle. And then my first thought then was to Steve, who was still had a fuel uh, a full 120 litres of fuel in his tank, and he was surrounded by a lake of fire. I remember my priority is to put out that fire to allow Steve to get out before going to Carl. Um, but so yeah, there is a lot of instinctiveness about it. And as much training as you can do, you know, we, we, we have seen, whether it's a fire or an official, 
know, how people respond sort of individuality about it as to how effectively someone can respond. But thankfully, in this instance, you know, um, their, their, their rehearsals or training and intuition was such that you know, Ian knew where to go, that you know, he knew that the tub was here inside this, you know, in between the armflow, and that it was just the engine out, out the back there. He would have only had seconds to glance at that. Mm. Uh, and then, um, uh, you know, using the fire, the fireman to help you know, clear the view and clear the way to be able to get to the driver, who thankfully uh, was self-extricating. And, and, you know, the photos that we've seen are quite incredible how that tub seemed to, uh, I don't know what I've seen, uh, seemed to go through the two, two, two bars of Armco, which frankly would have um, absorbed some of the impact, um, but then cleared it enough so that he could um, push the horseshoe off from around his cockpit and then undo his belt and, and 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 presumably the steering wheel as well and be able to get out quickly. And then, as we all now have commented and seen, that uh, frankly he wasn't unconscious and so was able to push himself up vertically and get out of that tub both over the car, the, the tub itself and the armco. Just amazing. And then to have Ian there able to assist him, bring him over and then uh, to then start treating him medically, then that's just phenomenal. Now, we saw uh, the armco split um you know is that a normal scenario is it sort of just a weird thing that happened with the impact you know hitting in the right spot i suppose a formula one car is very much like a shaped like a bullet Uh, if anything's going to split an armco it's going to be a formula one car coming at it very very quick rather than a a touring car let's say um i mean the the idea of an armco is you you sort of run along it rather than it stops the car quickly um do you think that's a design fault or is it just a freaky accident? Yeah, it's definitely not a design fault. So, you know, with all these matters uh, and you know, as you can imagine, Bahrain, uh, we, we were there uh, over 12 years ago now, but, uh, uh, um, you know, this is a Formula One racetrack. So not only do they have really wide runoff areas and have the highest level of protection, I think this is a very unusual place for an incident. Uh, which, you know, unfortunately on racetracks, they, 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 some crashes seem to be able to find the weak spot as such. And clearly the Armco was running at a different angle to what, um, uh, what, would, be, what would be safer. But I, I doubt that anything's ever happened at that particular point before. As you know, most uh, Formula One circuits use an expanse of Tech Pro barriers that don't have such gaps. But even Tech Pro itself has, has issues in regards to um, there are weak spots, uh, depending on the angle that you hit things at. Uh, whether you split them or not, uh, I think I think yeah, I don't think there's any critical error here. I think that there'll always be improvements, and I'm for sure changes will be made to that area because uh, it's it's you know, that, that would, would be more of an issue. Nothing changed, um, but uh, in this instance, I think that the arm code did pretty much what it was designed to. But what you're looking at is really a car that's shaped like a spear, aiming towards barriers that have gaps in them, and for it to be able to split it. But at least that would have absorbed some of the energy, which you yeah. know, the reports I read was upwards of 58 G. So, you know, hopefully the Armco, by not being solid, actually uh, reduced some of the impact forces to then minimise transmission of those forces onto the driver, which then meant that he didn't have any serious musculoskeletal injury and or head injury. Uh, and as, as you know, the halo obviously clearly helped push the Armco above and over the driver's head and helmet as well which is you know fantastic evidence for the halo yeah a lot a lot of criticism over the last few years regarding the halo but this was the possibly the best ever endorsement the 
that we could have ever asked for uh, for for its existence, not only in Formula One but for all current FIA um, spec chassis, including uh, our own S five thousand that we have here in Australia. So, um, do you think this puts the halo knockers to bed? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it still does look like a thong, doesn't it? But it certainly uh, <laughs> yeah. does what it's designed to do. And I can't, you know, go into the finites of whether the indie-style shields are better or not. Um, you know, I think there's there's pros and cons of both. Uh, but you know, once once the halo came into practice and with the you know, making a part of the design of the car and then adding sponsors and things onto it, you know, it's very clever. And it's just accepted as part of a Formula One car, or not just Formula One, but Formula car these days. Yeah, great for the marketing people. They would love that extra space to put a couple of extra stickers. Um, so Dr. Carl, tell us what, what are the lessons that we that we'll learn from this or or that um or that you guys will learn uh as part of an, an official FIA championship. They'll obviously go through a pretty detailed analysis of of what happened, but but how much of that information will you sort of see get get fed down um, through the through the chains that that you might be able to um, you know help introduce down here in Australia, particularly for supercars. Yeah, we'll, we'll get a lot, and there's there's really good sharing of information. It takes a bit of time to do all the investigative work, and there's so many components to it. Uh, you've already mentioned about track safety. There's a whole you know group of specialists that look into track safety around the world and and look at these instances and work out formulas based on those, and also on the design and materials used for the type A fencing uh, barriers uh, around um, motor racing, um, for medical responses and fire and rescue responses, you know, looking at the uh, number of resources you need to have, the type of resources you need to have, the fire extinguisher material you need to have, uh, all those things. And uh, yeah, I think, I think uh, probably the most important thing is, uh, I think it was a good reminder that fire and such still is a risk. You know, as minimised as it, as it has been, uh, and thankfully, you know, I, I was remarking that whilst 2020 has been an awful year for the world and for Australia and for motorsport in Australia, um, you know, we, we've had a pretty um, un, uneventful year in terms of uh, incidences. Um, you know, so, so that, that's a good thing. But incidences like these are a reminder as to why we have um, resources in place and why we have. Um, you, know, you know, thankfully, uh, the dedicated volunteers that are involved in this um, and also the reminder, because I often get asked, you know, well, why, why do you need to wear a fire suit? Uh, you know, this, this is the reason why, because we, we do get exposed to it, we can get exposed to it, you know, do, do it. I, I, I practice letting off fire extinguishers as well. And, and whilst it's not my primary responsibility, uh, even when we need to use them, we need to know how to use them safely and uh, be effective with them as well. Um, in terms of uh, the injuries, you know, uh, in injuries uh, with burns, uh, obviously, uh, there's a cosmetic side to that. But more importantly, it is about the inhalation and breathing um, uh, negative uh, effects on, on drivers and, and humans because of that. So for sure, they'll be watching Rosgen as we did with Carl with his airway and breathing and making sure that uh, he recovers fully from that. You know, if we go back even a longer way back to Nicky Lauda, you know, the, the injuries that really hampered him in his life were uh, his breathing difficulties um, rather than the superficial cosmetic uh, burns to his face and body. Uh, one question I've had is regarding, you know, the commonality of hand injuries uh, and whether there was any way we could protect that further. 
as most of your listeners will probably be aware, you know, fire suits, uh, you know, we have strict regulations as to um, the layers that we need to have. And typically drivers are wearing um, a full undergarment, including balaclava, top, bottoms, long johns and, and socks as well, underneath their fireproof suits, which are typically the equivalent of three layers. Although newer technology, they're a lighter uh, two and a half layer material, but offers at least three layers of protection. So therefore, each layer of protection is, is believed to be about 10 seconds of um, fire burn protection. Specifically, uh, the, the suits are giving them up to 40 seconds of protection. Uh, another, another thing is that people need to be aware that motor racing helmets are totally different to motorbike helmets because motor racing helmets are fireproof. So even the chin straps are fireproof so that uh, you know, in such a burn like this, uh, such a explosion flame like this, you know, the, the helmet itself doesn't melt and burn away. Uh, and then, um, yeah, so unfortunately with boots and gloves, uh, obviously there's a necessity to use your feet and hands to operate steering wheels, pedals, switches, buttons um, effectively so you can't just wear thick oven type mitts and you know, they need to be fully flexible so that limits the number of layers uh, that you can wear on, on a, a glove to then still be able to perform um, a driving. Uh, in addition to the driver having to drive, it's also your hands that are going to be touching hot things if you need to escape, undoing belts and uh, door handles and, and uh, chassis and things to get out. Unfortunately, your hands are always going to be, so I guess, the, the riskiest parts of the body uh, to be affected as well and feet as well. Uh, although at least you've got um, fireproof socks and shoes on there, but you know, the soles can't be super thick soles like firemen might wear uh, because they need to drive a race car as well. So yeah, uh, that was a very long-winded answer to your question, but there's, there's a lot of learnings and you know, we're always continuously wanting to learn. And, and uh, thankfully, these incidents are far and few between. When they do occur, there's a lot of worldwide interest. Now, I've got colleagues around the world that for sure would be all over this as well and wanting to learn as much as they can at every level in terms of pre-event planning during the event and then, you know, and then the sort of exciting response side to it, how to do that, uh, even though it was, you know, it was amazing. Uh, how how would we do it better? Uh, what would you do that's different if if the if the driver was unconscious? You know how how to, how can we make that better? So certainly, looking at all of those, um, um, I can go into further specifics. But you know, I think supercars and where where I'm at, I'm comfortable with where where we're at with um with our levels of safety and rescue personnel and and uh, ability to respond to such similar incidences. Yeah, we're extremely lucky here in Australia to have yourself and your team uh, working with with supercars, and we've got a uh, a pretty phenomenal record of uh, of safety, not just for our drivers, but also for for crew, marshals, and 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 fans as well. You know, every single every single body is important. Now, just one last question before we go: We've had an absolute wretched time down here. Uh, in Melbourne, or well, certainly all around the world, but um, Melbourne seemed to be the one that uh, that that copped it the most. Um, we look like we're coming out on the shiny side of it now, but I, I really wanted to ask, with with all of the 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 new normal that we're we're going to find, what change? What will change? Or what do you feel will change in supercars? How how is supercars in twenty twenty one going going to be? different compared to uh, forget 2020 we're, we're kind of writing writing that off but um but but how do how does the the supercars championship um you know move into this new normal period 
Uh, that's a very deep question, Grant. And um, you know, obviously, there, there there are a lot of answers to that from a commercial, from a spectator, from a running the event, a number of event sponsorship. There are so many ways to answer that question. I guess from my medical point of view, I guess unfortunately, until we have a vaccine that's effective that can protect everyone, unfortunately, you know, uh, motorsport in Australia and supercars has has to change. Uh, and, you know, I think the management of supercars did a fantastic job this year in being able to um, hold a championship, like amazing, and the commitment of those that were able to travel with the show that that uh, moved around, and the, the the speed at which they were able to pivot and change direction, like moving from Queensland Raceway down to the Bend when there was a potential outbreak in the in the sort of um, Logan uh, Ipswich area. You know, it was it was amazing for them to be able to have all those contingencies in place and and options to be able to continue. To have the championship, so that that's huge. I think you know that, that can't be underestimated. I think it's more difficult than even um, AFL or rugby and such because because it is it is a national in terms of a movement around and such. So we did a fantastic job with that. I think some of the the, the realities that we need to face are things like such as low spectator numbers uh, until we have a vaccine, um, access to drivers, and you know one of the Great things I always loved about supercars that differentiated it from Formula One was access to you know to the uh, the paddock area and access to drivers, uh, you know signing autographs or having selfies and such. You know, we, all, we were considered ourselves a lot more approachable, um, but unfortunately you know, that that needs to change and everyone's protected. Um, everyone needs to be safe. So that, that those things unfortunately uh, will hamper the. Um, that's the right word, the you know, ability for fans to integrate with the championship and be a part of it as such. Um, so, you know, I think, I think uh, but, you know, but it is just a rough wave that we have to ride out and I uh, hope, you know, and do expect that we'll be able to continue and that uh, Supercars will overcome this and hopefully come back better, better and stronger. You know, I, you know, if we turn it around and say that once there is a vaccine and once things uh, do go back to hopefully normality as such, uh, it would have been, you know, 12 months or more of people not being able to access racetracks and such. So hopefully the interest will be even more and people would have missed it. And, and uh, you know, uh, hopefully there will be even more interest into it. Well, Dr. Carl, we thank you so much for your insight uh, and, and thoughts, not only about the Romain Grosjean incident, but also the the exact answer that you just gave just there um uh, really appreciate your time and of course appreciate all of the uh the non-racing car work that you have uh that you've been doing over the um over the last few months it's been a difficult time for the world and uh and you're uh helping us all get through it so uh we appreciate your time here on parked up yeah no, well stay safe everyone and thanks for your interest in yeah, hopefully see you all on a racetrack soon. Thanks, Dr. Carl. And we thank Dr. Carl so very much for coming on the Parked Up podcast. Great to talk to him. Can't wait to see him at a racetrack in 2021. Now, before we end this fantastic episode, Tony, of Parked Up, another fantastic episode. We've got some T-shirts to give away. So it was a few weeks ago that I'd put um, a bit of a social post up on our Facebook page to... Uh, see what sort of interest there was out there in our uh, followers world to uh, see if they'd like some free stuff. And of course they definitely wanted the free stuff. There was a lot of requests <laughs> for a free parked up t-shirt. Um, and we had it some good, interesting... mate. 
They look really good. Yeah, they 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 feel good as well. They'll um they'll survive at least three or four washes, I reckon. <laughs> there were some interesting responses to our uh, social post, including um, some from my family members, your family members. Uh, there was one here from uh, Brett Murray, the old crusher, the owner of Speed Cafe. He wrote that my car needs a wash. Unfortunately, he wouldn't be joking. I'm sure he would send a photo. If we sent one to him, he'd send a photo of him washing his car. So Let's um, do it. So well, maybe we'll send one to Crush. You know, like uh, back when I was working at Speed Cafe, seriously, I would have gone through at least 25 of those old Speed Cafe t-shirts. Mate, I remember that's all you ever wore. And now it's your network R ones. Well, that's right. They're I so like handy. to represent. I like to represent. Um, okay, so uh, what else? We, some guy called Tony Dalberto put put a <laughs> comment up there because my face is on it. What a wanker! And uh, Sean Jacobs, like Sean Jacobs, because Tony's face is on it. All these people, what silly, silly. These people. All right, I'm going to pick a couple, and you can pick a couple. Oh, here's, yeah. one, here's one from my dad because I'm your father. <laughs> Sounds like uh, Darth Vader. Yeah, exactly. Okay, here we go. So I definitely will give one to uh, Robert Hawkins. He's a, uh, a long-time parked-up listener, and he actually calls us living legends. I'd love to win one of these shirts to add to my growing motorsport shirt collection. What better way to remember 2020 than a shirt from the podcast run by two living legends that have got all race through fans through these difficult times? Awesome. That's a, that's worth a T-shirt for sure. Yeah. And I also want to give – of course, I'm definitely going to give one to – uh, our very good friend Jackie Carroll, because mm. um, she's she, the best. She likes us more than our mothers like us, <laughs> um, and that's a lot because our mums really like us as well. And she has, she says she's been a loyal fan since episode one, and um, and that is definitely true. So we'll we'll give one there. So now Jason Abercrombie says, when I bump into Reynolds next year, I can point out who has the better podcast. Should we <laughs> should we give one to Jason? And cause yeah, a reckon. bit of a stir. I reckon. Yeah, we got to get him out there. All right, that's it. He sounds like he's going to get it out there for us. So, so I'm, putting, I'm putting Jason on the list. Okay, good. I've I've got a couple uh, myself. I want to give right. one to Matt K. Uh, he's a good friend of mine, yep. and he actually uh, is a very good bike rider. And he just got some new kit done, and he's put parked up our logo on his riding kit. Wow. Yeah, that, I mean that's commitment, man. That is commitment. That is that's commitment, commitment like to the cause. So that's nice, Maddie. We're going to send you one in the mail, and no, it didn't get lost in the mail. We just haven't quite sent it yet. <laughs> uh, another friend of mine, Steve Lem or Lemons, as I call him. Mm-hmm. Now, Steve is actually part of the Race Solutions Recovery Team that do a lot of Victorian events. Um, they're on the medical team, uh, running the event, but also looking after people when they get injured, obviously recovering vehicles out of sand traps and they do track days and all that sort of stuff. So I reckon uh, this episode being all about safety and, and, and having Dr. Carl on the show as well, she gives Steve uh, to recognize all the work he puts in as well. Cause there's a lot of these volunteers that put a huge amount of work in so we can go racing. So uh, he needs a size large. Okay. So now, so not only so they're not only asking for free shirts, but also just uh, flagging what size to send it. Did he put his address there as well for super convenience? Actually, he didn't. <laughs> but I'll probably see him at a racetrack bloody soon. So just give it to me. Okay. Cool. Um, 
we thought about giving one to James Fleming because he's a good friend of ours, but he needs an extra, 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 extra large after lockdown. He's, what do you mean? He's not that big. I oh. saw him the other week. He's he's not. He's fit as a fiddle, that guy. He goes, if Tony wants a fly screen, I want a T-shirt. So I do actually, he's coming to my house on Wednesday to measure up a few fly screens. So if I can give him a T-shirt and that's a good contra deal, that's, I reckon I'm bloody winning there. That's not bad. That is pretty good. All right. So there's uh, there's a couple more. There's a couple more. This is our, um, this is Tony and Grant's chance to feel like Santa Claus. Oh, feels so, good. Feels good. So let's uh, let's just keep the giving. Right, so I reckon I'm going to give one to Joanne Hodge. Um, just love the dynamic between both Grant and Tony, but did miss seeing both of them at TCR races this year. Uh, so um, she won't miss us now because we'll live right on the front of her shirt. So we'll, uh, we'll definitely give one to Joanne. No dramas at all. Joanne will be in touch uh, pretty soon to get all of your details. Um, and uh, one more, Tony, one more. Come on, come on. Uh, what about uh, Ian Brady? Wow, how good do these look? Uh, I'd love to wear one for use. Use. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Oh, I think use are like a female sheep. I think that's <laughs> our mum. Mum used to, mum used to tell me that all the time when uh, when my English wasn't that great when I was um, probably eight, nine, or ten, and I've always remembered that use are. Female sheep. There you go. Let's give Ian one. All right, Ian Brady. Cool. Hey, look, we we thank everyone. We've uh, there'll be a few left over as well. So if we don't give them out before the end of 2020, then we'll um, we'll definitely give them make to a sure car wash. Yeah, you, you'll find one at your local op shop in the, within the next year or so. You'll be able to pick up for a dollar. Um, okay. Hey, uh, before we, we've we go, always uh, got some, we've always got some freebies. We've always got some giveaways, and we like doing that sort of thing. And we do appreciate everyone's listenership. Um, so, uh, if you do like us so much, or if you've listened long enough to hear this, you've got to subscribe. You have to subscribe to our channels through iTunes or through Spotify, or follow us on the social medias. Just search for Parked Up Podcast. Um, maybe even give Tony D a follow on the socials as well. He needs yes. to boost. Uh, he needs to boost some of his um, numbers. And uh, that is pretty much all from me for this week, Tony D. We'll do. Before, uh, before we'll, we go though, how many more episodes this year we're going to do? Because yeah, I know you're off to, to Sydney. You're off to Sydney on Thursday, Friday. Yeah, borders are open. I'm out. See you later. You're out, but mate. I proved that we can do it when we're on the road. So surely we've got a couple more weeks. Yeah, yeah, definitely got a couple more weeks. And I look, I've got a lot of family time over the next few weeks. So I'll be looking for basically a bit of a break. any excuse <laughs> to, um, to get out and uh, go do something else. So yeah, we'll, we'll definitely do one or two more. Uh, stay tuned. This is episode 37. I don't think we're going to quite make it to 40, but we'll crack into 40 uh, early next year when we when we get back into it. Sounds good to me. All right, mate. Well, good show. Good job getting Dr. Carl on the phone. And uh, you have a good week. You too.